And the school that you went to was a secular school, right? 100%, yes. They view the Bible, the Word of God, as potentially useful commentary almost, where when we find something in archaeology that shows something to be true in the Bible, then we can use the Bible and say, oh, look, it's true. But outside of that, if we don't find it, then it doesn't really apply. That was the complete opposite of what I believed, obviously. What advice would you give to another student in that situation? Oh, that's a good question. Hey, and welcome to Zero Compromise, helping you stand for truth in a world that falls for lies. I'm Patricia Angler, joined here at the Creation Museum with Jessica D. Ford, a.k.a. JJ. Hello. And we don't have Rocket Rob with us, but we do have Baby D. Ford. Yes. Baby D. Ford is here <laughs> in his or her mother's room. I don't know if it's a boy or girl yet. Yes. So exciting, though. So stay tuned for that. And we have a really cool conversation today. Like, it's not every week that we get to talk to someone with the experience that our guest has today. So what's going on, JJ? Yeah, we're very excited to talk to Corey East. She is an education specialist here at Answers in Genesis. She has a really cool story of going to Israel as well as doing archaeology. So we're really looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. So thanks so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. So glad we could. So for starters, what do you do here at the ministry? Well, here at Answers in Genesis, I'm an education specialist, which means that I get to teach our guests who come in about the Word of God and archaeology and how it confirms the Bible. And I'm very excited to be able to do that. That's awesome. Can you share a little bit more about your testimony? And um, were you always a believer? Did, what did that look like in your life? That's a very good question. So I grew up in a Christian home and I had parents who were very strong believers and they raised me from a very early age to always know the Lord. Um, but it wasn't until I was around nine years old that I decided to give my life to him. But I could say that I knew him and I accepted him as my Lord, but he was not, I did not love him until I was in my teens and then began searching out him and growing my own testimony and faith on my own when I was in my teenage years. And then when I went to college, I decided that I wanted to pursue archaeology, but the schools I could afford didn't provide an archaeological degree. And um, so I just kind of settled um, to the school that I decided and pursued uh, Bible education. And then it changed to liberal arts degree and everything from forensics to anatomy and physiology. I was just trying to pursue the passions the Lord gave me in education. And I knew that he would use those to his advantage in whatever way. And I went to Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee, which we have a couple of alumni who work here at the ministry. Brian Osborne. Brian Osborne, that's right. (laughs) It's like, go Brian. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Brian Lyons. Um, So I pursued that, graduated, and began a master's in Bible education. Then COVID hit and kind of put a pause on that. But during COVID, I realized how much I wanted to work and pursue my goal of working at AIG. Ever since I was around nine, when I accepted the Lord, I wanted to work at Answers in Genesis. But um, I realized that I needed an education because I wanted to be useful for the ministry. But then I didn't have an archaeology degree. And so COVID hit and then everything shut down. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to, after COVID lifts, I'm going to pursue working at AIG and do my best to follow the Lord in that way. And so through this whole process, it was a growing in faith and pursuing the Lord. And when it came time to apply, I applied for multiple jobs, <laughs> everything from housekeeping <laughs> to groundskeeping, because I just knew the Lord wanted me at Answers in Genesis. I didn't know in what capacity. And he brought me to the education department and um, kind of developed from there. Almost said evolved, but we can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> we can use it in, a, in the right context. In the right context, right. <laughs> yeah. So it just, it developed from there. And I actually started in this lab as a lab coordinator. And then I got to actually work with our different speakers and 
they help challenge me in my faith and teach me to step out in faith and to pursue the Lord in ways that I hadn't before. And I was afraid to pursue archaeology because um, a lot of my weaknesses personally are actually in archaeology. For instance, I'm terrible with dates. Oh, wow. But of the field I picked... <laughs> is archaeology and you have to be good with dates or at least be aware mm -hmm. and so um i also didn't like teaching oh. i was like i don't want to be a teacher <laughs> i don't like dates um i love history i just i'm terrible at it um <laughs> but i love but i love archaeology and so i just remember going uh sitting at my desk and dr rivera our supervisor sat down with me and she was like you know why like you should be a speaker. And what are you interested in? And I was like, oh, archaeology. We, we need that. And, and I was like, you do? She goes, yeah. You should totally go get your master's. And I remember going, oh, that's nice. You know, tried that, you know. But then I just Googled, you know, master's in archaeology and the program in Israel popped up first thing. And so they sent me off and then I'm back. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It's also, I think it shows how um, God uses weakness that where we think we're unqualified to do things, God just turns that around. He flips it around. And he gives us passions and a desire and a calling. And then when you just step out in obedience, yes. and He opens the doors, He He does all the things that help with that area. So I think that shows kind of your trajectory with that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you left AIG for a little bit to go pursue a master's degree in mm -hmm. Israel. In Israel, yeah. That's so right. what was that like? Describe that experience. So it was an experience. I was thankful that I had background in Hebrew. So I took biblical Hebrew for at least seven years before I went to Israel. But that's it was awesome. biblical Hebrew, yeah, different awesome. than modern. Um, but when I got to Israel, um, it was scary, especially as a single female, to be over there. Uh, you felt relatively safe in Israel, but it's just, it's a different culture. Yeah. So it was uh, very uncomfortable. Uh, but it was a experience that the Lord walked through with me, took me by the hand and walked through with me. And I was very appreciative of his comfort and protection because there are multiple situations where it could have turned out very poorly. But when I got there, I could read most signs, but I could not speak in the conversation. So I'd be like, um, where is the shuttle? And they look at me and they blink and they go, we speak English, you know? <laughs> and so everybody spoke English, which was amazing. Um, but it was still like really hard to converse sometimes, um, especially when um, you needed something a little more specific, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but going there as an American, it was relatively easy. Uh, the biggest thing was the cultural difference. Sure. Uh, one of the biggest things is there's no concept of personal space. <laughs> so that but, would be an adjustment yeah. absolutely oh you get on the train and you know, it's, i guess it's similar if you lived in new york but i've never been to new york so i'm not familiar but i guess if you're from a big city you're familiar with people kind of bustling together and your personal bubble is not quite so big and also in the Middle East, it's it's not rude to stare. So people would stare at you and you'd be sitting there going, are they mad? Are they watching me? And it's not really, it's just, it's just not rude to stare. But in America, it's very improper. So there were some big hurdles to get over, just culturally speaking. And not to mention, as I said before, my undergrad was not in archeology. span Sure. So that was just culturally. But then the biggest hurdle was also academically because I didn't have, I had background in archeology span in the sense of history and language, biblical language, but I didn't have, I never took archeology span courses that were official college courses. So when I got into my master's degree, it was literally diving in head first and in the deep end. And they're giving me all these dates and these numbers and these terminology that I was not familiar with. And I just remember being completely, utterly overwhelmed, but I was also determined 
that I was gonna learn because I wanted to be able to make sense of the confusion that there is with Christians and their faith and archeology span because I'd received a lot of those contradicting reports from archeologists and I wanted to be the person to help clarify that. And so with the Lord's help, obviously, not through my own doing, he helped me work through that and help overcome those those big trials of just academics. Um, the academic system over there is very different than the United States as well. Um, it's very much student-driven. So you have advisors that are amazing, and my advisor was absolutely great. She was amazing, but um, I also had to be in charge of pushing a lot for my own agenda, I guess, mm-hmm. and I was not used to that, because here in the States, it's like, you know, you guess your advisor, your advisor pulls the strings and does everything, uh, but I had to be the one to talk to the registrar, get my grades and all that stuff, which is overwhelming on top of itself. And it's just a different system, but <laughs> academically super, uh, very, very good, but it was just different. Gotcha. So. And the school that you went to was a secular school, right? A hundred percent. Yes. I, and thankfully I knew that going in, I knew that uh, the Hebrew University of Jerusalem um, was very secular they have a Bible department and they have, you know, a prehistory department and all these different departments, but uh, they view the Bible, the Word of God, as um, potentially useful commentary almost. I guess you see it that way, where when we find something in archaeology that shows something to be true in the Bible, then we can use the Bible and say, oh, look, it's true. But outside of that, if we don't find it, then it doesn't really apply. And that was the complete opposite of what I believed, obviously. Um, and one of the things in archaeology that we say is the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. But it was interesting because when it came to the Bible, they didn't listen to that saying. So if if we're digging in the site and we don't find something, it doesn't mean those people weren't there. These just don't have evidence for it. But if we don't find evidence for the Bible, then obviously isn't true. And so I just found that quite hypocritical. And I took a couple courses in human evolution and anthropology. And I remember going in thinking, do I really want to do this? Because I know I don't agree, but I wanted to learn what people were being taught because I wanted to be able to speak in truth and accuracy of the other side, you know, to be intellectually consistent. And so I was willing to put myself in that fire (laughs) to be able to hopefully help someone else who has never heard or may never be able to learn those things, understand them better. And so, yeah, it was a very secular school and uh, I had multiple conversations with professors and I would ask them questions about David and um, Solomon and they would look at me and like, well, if David was a real person, he was a chieftain, you know, minor chieftain. And I'm going, hmm, that is not what the Bible says, but okay, you know, but you had to balance that, um, that information that they were giving you with the truth you knew in God's word. And, And sometimes it was hard, you know, you would sit there and go, I had some challenges to my faith to points where I, I never questioned my faith and the truth of God's word, but I questioned if I truly knew what I believed. Sure. sure. And that was the hard part because you wanted to be sure, but you also had to work through those things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was a challenge. Yeah. So what would you what advice would you give to another student in that situation? Oh, that's a good question. If you're a student, I think it's also different going into it knowing you will be challenged. So definitely doing your research, (laughs) especially if you're going into a master's degree or college, you need to uh, at least get some background on what you think you will be taught. Um, Their stance on different um, subjects such as faith, if they're a completely secular school, then you pretty much know you're not going to hear anything that is founded on God's word. But if you can be encouraged that the Lord is with you and he calls to mind the things that are, uh, I forget the scripture, but it's about the Holy Spirit calling to mind the things that the Lord has taught, Jesus Christ taught. And I relied on that greatly because 
I there were moments I would be speaking with my professors and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that verse. And I would speak with them about it and they'd be like, oh, I don't believe that. And so I felt very alone in, in Israel um, because one, Christianity is only 2% of the religion there. So you're the minority. Yeah, that's actually here. surprising too. Like, I don't know, as, as an American or something, I don't know if it's a misconception, but you yeah. assume that there's more. You would, you would think um, because I mean, it's the pretty much the capital of the three primary religions of the world, you know, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. But we only make up 2%, and that was, that numbers were even from a couple of years ago, so it could be less or more, but 2% was the last time I checked. And yeah, so you felt that when you went to school or when you were even looking for a church, you know, it was hard. But I was still encouraged because I would stay connected with my friends and family who were strong believers, and I stayed connected with um, Dr. Rivera and my friends here. And it was so encouraging because sometimes I just email them and say, I need a chat so I can talk to you about all the stuff I'm learning so that I can hear truth instead of all this confusion because it was overwhelming, mm -hmm. you know, overwhelming. And I would, <laughs> even like Mr. Tim Chafee, like I would <laughs> say, I need to talk with you in a department because I'm learning all this stuff about Jerusalem and I just, like it's frustrating me and I need somebody to help me clarify and organize this in my brain. And so they were just pivotal in digesting the information. And so if somebody else is in that, in that situation, finding a community of people that you can go to and receive truth from in the midst of madness is vitally important because without that, I would have made it through, but I would have come out more scathed than mm. I did, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that's so cool too, because I mean, I've said it before, but like every student practically that I've talked to around the world has said that, like you need community, get into community, mm -hmm. find mentors. So that's so cool to hear that confirmation. On the note of archaeology and some of the things you were doing there, like you were on the field, like digging up the past yeah. <laughs> in Israel. So what were some of the things that you were working on there? What digs were you involved in? Yeah, so um, I helped with three primary projects. Um, one of them is the Temple Sifting Project, and it is a fascinating project um, that actually occurred and happened um, from some shifty dealings that occurred on Temple Mount, where the Waqf, which is the Islamic leader group did an illegal excavation and removed soil from the Temple Mount and we our job was to sift through it and try to retrieve whatever information we could from it and that was great because it showed um, the redemption of something that was potentially terrible and it pointed to the confirmation of God's word even though originally they were trying to get rid of the soil so you wouldn't learn about those things and so being able to be a part of that was extremely, it was just a blessing. And so that was the first project I worked with and that was throughout the time I was there. The second, the first official dig I went on was at Talbot Mirsim and that was down south of Jerusalem. And this site is very important because this site is a key um, location that we date the rest of the sites in Israel from because of the stratigraphy found. And the stratigraphy is just the layers we find at a site. And so the layers at this site are some of the most consistent and clear. And so we use this site to help us relatively date the rest. And so it's just, it was great to be able to be a part of that. And I dug at that site a um, destruction lair, pretty much ash and all that from probably Sennacherib, 721-ish, wow. you see? So that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and uh, found a complete vessel that we were able to do um, a residue analysis from, and I haven't gotten the results yet, Beck, but I look forward to hearing it. That's and so cool. It, yeah. was, it was really cool. We were working on a collapsed room 
from the destruction. And my uh, partner, Kurt Hoyer, he was one of my classmates. He's a great guy. He was like, you know, you're very lucky on your first egg <laughs> to find a room full of broken vessels and you found a complete vessel. He goes, I worked for so many seasons at, it was at Hatsor and I never found anything. <laughs> and so he was like, yeah, it's beginner's luck. And it just reali- it just made me realize how hard, much hard work it is for archaeologists in the field and how you don't always get the actual physical um, remains. Um, and so having that opportunity the first time, I realized that was truly special. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. You have a new program that mm-hmm. you're going to be offering here at the museum starting January 10th. It's called Does Archaeology Confirm the Bible? Yes, that's true. Can you give us a summary of that and just describe the importance of how and why does mm-hmm. the Bible confirm archaeology? Absolutely. So I'm blessed enough to be able to give this talk um, to our guests on the 10th of January. And what I really do is I'm walking through with... Um, our guests, the idea of worldview and how it ties into archaeology in the sense that it's just like any other science. We were not there to see these artifacts and remains left by the people who left them. And it's amazing in sitting in class hearing professors say things like, oh, well, we know that they use this artifact for this. And we can see that, oh, they use this room for this. And I'm going, do we really though? Do we really? We can, we can infer information. And almost like in forensics, you know, you can take the data and infer. But you have to be careful. And because sometimes that information is provided to um, others as fact, instead of being clear that, you know, archaeologists presume. Uh, We're told in archaeology not to make Blaken statements or universal statements and sure statements because of that very fact. But oftentimes we share archaeology as if it's a sure thing. Sure. And um, so in my program, I like, I want to share that with others, uh, make the distinction between fact and interpretation in that archaeology is a historical science. It's not something that you could, you were actually there when it occurred and you have to provide interpretation. Um, It's different from observational science, which means you were there to observe it, testable, repeatable, archaeology is not that way now there are a lot of bleed overs right you can have um, experimental archaeology and that's cool because that helps you understand what you find in the field but you weren't actually there when that the original artifact was destroyed or the room burned and so I walk through our guests with that. And then my favorite part is I walk through key archaeological finds that confirm the word of God. And one of the biggest things that I stress is um, there are naysayers who say that the word of God, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, were not written by Moses, uh, but they were written far later. And therefore, their historicity is questioned and they are full of cultural um, bias and um, propaganda from later kings and kingdoms. But I walk through how this is actually not true. And there's evidence against this and earlier writings. And I love this because writing is a big deal in archaeology and we base a lot on it. And so studying it and how it confirms the word of God is just absolutely amazing. So I walk through our guests with that and I'm excited to get started on the 10th with this. It'll be a fantastic program for our guests to hear. So if you're down here at the Creation Museum, stop on in. It's a Discover program. We'll have information on our website for it and the education tab there. You can go and find all of our Discover programs. So it'll be a great presentation for guests here. Yeah, absolutely. So in our last few minutes here, were there any other stories from the field that you wanted to share or any other advice um, for young people about how they can pursue their passions that you wanted to share? I would say that if if you believe the Lord is leading you in a direction, especially within academia, uh, you need to pray, read his word, but also receive guidance from those who you trust about how to pursue that. Um, because it could have been easy to go to a school here and study archaeology, but 
<laughs> I said, no, I want to go overseas and I want to go to a country I've never been in and, and a language that I'm still learning and I don't know even completely yet. But that was good because it challenged me and it was something I had to walk through with the Lord. And so God doesn't always call you to the easy path. Sometimes we think that, oh, well, the path was made clear. It's like, yeah, it was clear, but it wasn't easy. And sometimes that's better. So I would be aware that, you know, sometimes he's not calling you to easy things. A lot of times he doesn't. Um, and the, the easier path might not be the right route, but he'll walk with you through it no matter what it is. And one of the stories I think that I'd like to share probably was that the, the most important thing I learned when I was over in Israel, it wasn't archaeology, even though that was great. It wasn't um, even stuff I learned from anthropology about human evolution. It was the people I talked to. It was the young women that I roomed with as a roommate, which was interesting. But it was a blessing because you quickly, I quickly realized that the Lord put me there to study archaeology as almost like a side. But he put me there to talk with the young women that were actually there with me. Many of them were Jewish atheists. And I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) I was like, how could you be an atheist and be Jewish? Because I mean, the word of God is you practically have the same book, right? But I quickly found out that the Lord loved their hearts and he wanted them. And so he wanted me to be there to love them. And that was the most important thing that I learned in Israel and the people I met and the stories that we had together. Absolutely. Do you have any like really impactful moments maybe of like a specific conversation that stands out to you maybe that uh, other young people can learn from? Yes, actually. Um, So one of the young women, I won't mention her name, but we were chatting one day and the subject of the biblical creation account came up and we were talking about archaeology and she was like, oh, well, because, you know, you know, humans, we evolved from apes. And I went, that's not true. (laughs) And she was like, what do you mean that's not true? And I started talking to her about how evolution is a theory. It's not proven fact. It's not even necessarily super scientific, um, but it's a theory. And um, she she was just flabbergasted. She goes, how, how can you believe something else? After all, evolution has been proven. And I was like, oh, really? Has it? <laughs> and so then the conversation led to biology. And, the, and that's the thing is oftentimes these conversations, they don't just start and end with that topic. They bleed into so many others. And I quickly found out that she was dealing with identity crisis. And so eventually the conversation led from creation to then God's design and what he intended for humans and our purpose, our value and our worth, because that's what she was dealing with. So you quickly find out that the naturalistic worldview is just a kind of a front for a deeper seated issue of trying to find identity in the Lord, but it's misplaced. And so that conversation lasted six hours. Wow. And we had multiple six hour conversations, which was such a blessing. And we didn't agree and we'd get heated, but we didn't, we remained cordial and respectful. And that's something I think that she never had. She's like, I've never had a Christian that didn't get angry with me. And I never had a Christian that actually understood my culture and my faith because as a Jew and my, my background, and I was, I was blessed to know that, but I knew that the Lord had prepared me over years and years of studying research and following him in my own faith to be able to then speak to that. And so that's probably one of the most memorable uh, stories is seeing how those little things that you don't think would add up, like learning about biology, learning about anatomy and physiology or design actually 
do add up, maybe not for you, but for someone else in your journey to hear from you. Yeah, everybody has a worldview and it's you see that in conversations with people. And so mm-hmm. it was awesome that you're able to point back to the truth of God's word. And that is their, our objective standard Absolutely. that we stand on. So yeah, that's wonderful. Yep. So um, we're pretty much out of time, but um, I think, you know, a lot of people have Israel on their minds right now. So, and we really need to pray for the country. Is there anything specific that you can recommend for how to pray for Israel? That's a good question. Um, It's something been heavy on my heart as well. Pray for the people. The state of Israel is very important, but the most important thing that Christians we should care about are the souls of those who are there. And um, when I was younger, I used to think that Jewish people were like, half saved, I guess, if we want to put it that way, in the sense of they had the Bible, they had the Old Testament. And I always kind of had this idea that, you know, if they didn't accept Christ, they were still better off than someone who was, you know, didn't know him at all and didn't have the word of God. But I quickly realized that in Judaism, they teach a completely different God than we worship. And because God doesn't come down and become man and die for us, that's not who he is. So I quickly realized that you end up having atheist Jews who completely reject God, but keep the cultural connection. And so understanding that the Jewish people are just as lost as everybody else. And it's even more tragic though, because they have the truth at their fingertips. I think we need to remember that and remember that standing true for who Christ is in love is vitally important. And there are Christians there. So praying that they remain strong, but pray for the souls of the Jewish people, the Muslims who are there, Um, Palestine, that to me is the most important thing to pray for because we know that God will protect and provide a way for the state, but we should care about the souls and that's what we need to stick to. Absolutely. There you go. Well, thank you so much for sharing. It's a very cool conversation. We hope you tune back in next time for more uh, awesome talks with people. And meanwhile, we pray that you keep standing on the truth of God's word with zero compromise. See you guys later.